This text is talking about me, and it's talking about you. It's interesting what drove um, the core of this message does come from the, the, the letter to the Romans, and especially chapters 9 and 10. Chapters 9, if you know, is, is a controversial chapter among theologians that they love to fight about because it, in it, God very clearly says that I will have mercy on whom I have mercy, and I will choose whom I choose according to my desire, according to who I am. And this bothers a lot of people because they say if God is sovereign to elect and to choose and to do the work, then what do we have to worry about? In fact, the whole book of Romans is talking about the work of God, the work of Jesus. And so chapter 10 is there on purpose after chapter 9. It's kind of a duh. Chapter 10 says, how? How is the sovereign will of God going to be played out? Feet. Beautiful feet of people. But my desire in this sermon is to help you see that the weight of what is happening in global missions is not the feet. What makes it beautiful is the God who is using those feet. So my first point is who made man's feet? Who made man's feet? You probably know which story I'm going to jump to. It's actually in the Old Testament. And I think it's a great passage for us to get a look at what missions look like when God has a huge plan and a purpose to save a people for himself. And he chooses to use the most ridiculous, hard-willed man to do that mission. It's unbelievable. This is in uh, Exodus chapter 3, and it's through uh, chapter 4. But I want us to see this story from this perspective. It's Moses at the burning bush. And the context is, God has promised to Abraham hundreds of years before that he would make him a nation. He would bless him so that he would bless who? The nations. That was God's intention from the very beginning. Why he revealed himself to Israel is so that the nations would be reconciled to him. And so these people went into slavery in Egypt, and they've been in bondage for 400 years, and they cried out. It's interesting in the passage, it doesn't actually say they cried out to him, it just says they cried out. But God heard, and God knew. That's a fascinating concept, as you think about the billions of people around the world right now who have no one to tell them, no one to show them the beauty of the love of Jesus Christ. God knows them. And he loves them. And so what does he do? He goes to the wilderness to find his messenger, his mediator, who's running because he's murdered a man. And he's hiding in the wilderness, shepherding sheep. Verse 1, it says, Now Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian. And he led his flock to the west side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. So try to get this picture in your mind in the wilderness. This 40-something-year-old man shepherding sheep. And as he walks by this mountain, the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. He looked, and behold, the bush was burning, yet it was not consumed. I don't know about you, but I love after Christmas when the Christmas tree is all dried out that you take a torch to it and light it, and it just goes whoosh. I say Justin shaking his head, yeah. 
that fire just catching and consuming. Well, imagine if you lit the tree and the whoosh kept going. The fire just burning and burning. And I don't know, we did this the other day when we were burning branches over here. We threw pine on there, and immediately the heat and the fire was so intense, you had to back off. That's the picture I want you, want you to have. And Moses looks up and he sees this bush burning, and yet it's, it's not being consumed. And Moses said, I will turn aside to see this great sight, why the bush is not burned. Poor guy has no idea what's about to happen in his life. Verse 4, when the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, God called to him out of the bush, Moses, Moses. He may not know God, but God knows him. And he said, here I am. Then he said, do not come near. Take your sandals off your feet, for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. This is where I want us to be, Bracca. As we look at missions, as we look at a world consumed in rebellion and hatred towards God, it is a bush that is burning and yet is not consumed. And as we look at it, it shouldn't be something that we're focusing on us. It should, the first thing we should do is take off our sandals and get on our face because it is the work of God. And God said to him, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. And as the chapter goes on, God continues to reveal to Moses his plan and Moses' key role as the messenger of God's freedom and his deliverance for his people. And Moses takes out his pom-poms and starts doing a dance because he's so excited to be a part of God's plan. No, not at all. This guy is literally in the presence of God and he starts coming up with excuses. The first one is, if I go to my people and I tell them that I've seen our God in the wilderness, they're going to say, what are you talking about? You're nuts. And so God's response is, here are miraculous miracles for you to show. And he gives him three different miracles to prove that he has come face to face with the transcendent God. And Moses continues, oh, well, you know, I, uh, I have a speech problem. Verse 10, but Moses said to the Lord of, of chapter 4, O my Lord, I am not eloquent, either in the past or since you have spoken to your servant, but I am slow of speech and of tongue. Then the Lord said to him, Who has made man's mouth? Who made your feet? Who makes him mute or deaf or seen or blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now, therefore, go. Do you hear the mission vibe in this passage? The, the drive of the God that we sing to right now. Now, therefore, go, and I will be with your mouth and teach you what you shall speak. It's incredible intimacy. Verse 13, but he said, oh my Lord, please send someone else. 
So where's the weight in missions in this passion, in this passage? It's God. It is God who chooses broken, hard-willed, fearful men and women, and he sends them to local places and across the world to spread the message of himself. And it's interesting because as you go, I don't have time to, there's endless references and stories in the Old Testament about the missional nature of, of, of God, how he is all about redeeming and gathering a people to himself. But the behind-the-scenes character, so to speak, who seems to be behind the scenes in the Old Testament and yet is put on display in the New, is the Holy Spirit. And it's this idea, how is this one broken man who's got so many personal issues going to save, going to be able to mediate the salvation of these people? And obviously, as the story goes, the people go out into the wilderness, and they are definitely rebellious, whining, ungrateful people. And in, Moses, or excuse me, in Numbers 11, there's an interesting story where they're upset because they don't have enough meat. And Moses is just broken because of the overwhelming task of mediating for over a million people. There's at least 600,000 Jews in the wilderness. I've always wondered, what in the world is logistics like that for? Eat that one up, Herman, teach out. What would it be like to take care of the physical and the spiritual needs of so many people? And so God has mercy on him, and he says, I will take of the spirit that I have on you, and I will spread it to 70 elders of your choice. Bring them to the tent of meeting, and we'll have a ceremony, and I will show that these two are my mediators of my grace. And so they have this meeting, this, uh, and the guys come, and he the Lord appears at the tent of meeting and takes the Spirit and puts it on these men, and they begin to prophesy, to demonstrate that this is indeed the work of God. And what's interesting is there are two jokels who decide not to show up to the meeting, and they're out in the camp. And while they're out in the camp, I don't know what they're doing, whether it was intentional or not, they, the Holy Spirit comes upon them too, where they are, and they start to prophesy. And Moses' servants see this, and they run to him, and they tell Moses... These guys are out in the camp. They're not in the program. They're not doing what's supposed to be done. And Moses' response is really, I think, amazing and I think prophetic. Verse 29 of Numbers 11. But Moses said to them, Are you jealous for my sake? Would that all the Lord's people were prophets, that the Lord would put his spirit on them. So here's one piece of the Old Testament. How is God going to work through these people that all the nations would be blessed? Especially since all the nations are very obviously not about the one true God. They're all about a whole bunch of other gods and themselves. In fact, Psalm 2 tells the story of how the nations plan and scheme directly against him, and God sits on his throne and he laughs. He laughs. You think you can have your way. And he says, as for me, I have set my king on Zion, my holy hill. I will tell of the decree. The Lord said to me, you are my son. Today I have begotten you. Ask of me, and I will make the nations your heritage and the ends of the earth your possession. So you have the Holy Spirit at work. And you have God saying, I'm going to set my king and he is going to ask for the nations, and they will be his. And if we had just the Old Testament, we would say, 
did God make a mistake? Obviously, this is not working out because there was a glimpse of it with David and Solomon, but it quickly fell downhill. But we know the truth of this because as we look at the Gospels, the promised king came and he took on human flesh. Probably two ugly male Israeli feet. And he walked and he lived a perfect life full of compassion without sin. A full life of temptation. This man was tempted beyond anything we can ever imagine. And yet he always, instead of giving in, he responded with, to temptation with always giving. Giving up of himself for our sakes so that he might redeem us. He came, he lived the perfect life, and he walked up that hill to Calvary to die in our place, to pay for our sins, but that's not, that's not it. It's not just that he paid for our shame and our sin and the wrong. He also filled up our righteousness. He fulfills the mission of God. And this is this an interesting aspect that you have over and over through the New Testament. This idea of already but not yet. We are in Christ and yet we still live. We are justified and yet we still continue to sin. We are sanctified and yet he is doing that growing process in us. Because we are baptized into him. So this leads me to my second thing. How in the world is this going to be possible if he is that one man and he wants to go to the nations? Acts chapter 2. It's interesting because Luke, when he starts writing uh, the book of Acts, he's writing to Theophilus and he says, I want to write to you, Theophilus. Um, the, The last book I wrote to you, Theophilus, was all about the things that Jesus began to do and teach. And the the what he's saying there is that this book I'm about to write is what Jesus is going to continue to do and teach. And the interesting thing is, is Jesus leaves in chapter 1. And I think that Psalm 2 gives us a picture of what happens between Acts 1 and Acts 2. He ascends to the Father's right hand after he has risen from the dead and conquered all of the enemies of mankind. He ascends to the Father's right hand and he goes back to this verse and he says, Ask of me and I will make the nations your heritage and the ends of the earth your possession. And the Father says, Good. And the Holy Spirit is poured out. So you have this picture of these disciples hiding, afraid, and all of a sudden the Holy Spirit rushes upon them so that they can become the body of Christ in this world. One body with many feet. That's my second point. First Corinthians actually talks about this, this idea of us being baptized into one body. And it's interesting, if you look at the story of Acts, the, it seems that the emphasis is about the Holy Spirit. You have all of these ridiculous stories where God chooses these men and these women to do ridiculous things, and all of the glory goes to him because most of the time they have something that keeps them from doing what God calls them to do. But the passage I want us to emphasize, uh, to look at specifically is Acts chapter 9, when Jesus appears to Saul, who is literally imprisoning, murdering, abusing the church, 
Jesus knocks him off his horse, and he says to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting my church? Is that what he said? Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Now, it's easy to think about this story again. I want to bring it back. These are his people. This is Christ. As close as a husband and a wife are supposed to be one life, so is the church. As he is, so also are we right now. And this is where I want to really hammer and focus for our concept of missions. What should drive our passion for global missions is a love for God himself. The need is indeed immense. And I can give you statistics, billions of people, just the suffering. I can show you pictures, but those drive our emotions. We must turn to Christ if we are to care for what he cares for. And it's interesting because I'll take us to the throne room again. John chapter 17. Here's this picture between Jesus while he's a man before he goes to the cross. And he's praying to the Father. And he says, I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. I think the next verse underlines the idea of missions. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. As for their sake, I consecrate myself that they also may be sanctified in truth. So many times when we talk about our faith, our walk with Christ, we think of certain practices or certain separate areas of our life that we go through. And these are important, especially the, the spiritual disciplines and the word and those things to grow. But have you noticed it's interesting here in chapter 17 and 19, this process of sanctification in our lives? Sanctify them in the truth, your word is truth. And then verse 19, I for their sake I sanctify myself, that they also may be sanctified in truth. The middle of that sandwich, what is it? It's missions. It's this idea that you are sent. You those feet at the bottom of your legs have a purpose in Jesus Christ. There is no accident, whether your job is two days a week or you've been working it your whole life, there is no relationship, there is no place you cannot go. Wherever you are, there you are. It's, it's kind of the, that thing. You are sent. You are a missionary. Now, this goes into a whole bunch of debate in missions world whose, whose missions don't worry. Eric, wherever you are, you don't have to throw something at my head. I think he's checking on something else. We'll get to that. But I just want you to see this picture of Jesus praying to the Father, this work of Almighty God. And even in that concept of the Son praying to the Father, you have the Holy Spirit. And he has the audacity to say, because in verse 20 it says, and for all those who believe through their teaching. That's us. This is our identity. And I praise God because for all of my life, this has been a key feature of our church, that we would seek to understand how God would use us in missions, globally and locally. But look at your feet. Where are they going? What are they doing? Now again, I want to ground it for you. I want to help us to understand what it means to be missional, all these pop phrases with regards to our faith and those kinds of things. 
there's, it, in our culture, it is very easy, as soon as I say that, to think that I need to do it all by myself. I need to figure it out. I need to be the source of... Th- that is not at all what this passage is saying, what, what this is talking about. It's talking about the body working together for the sake of missions. It's a team mentality. Sometimes we can get, this is not my, I heard this, I forget who said it. Sometimes we get so focused on the ball that we miss out the whole game. There's so many other things that go on in order for that ball to get over the touchdown line. Is that the right thing? Is that right? I don't know. Touchdown line? Goal line, thank you. That, I, that was, yeah, anyway. Just keep going, Paul. But one of the beautiful things about going overseas, and if I, if I was to have a, a voice in this, I would actually make it mandatory for our children, once they get out of high school, that they have to go somewhere for a certain amount of time so that they can experience culture from a different perspective. Because once you go somewhere else, all of a sudden, everything has meaning. The shoes you wear, the, the, the way you cut your facial hair, guys, your hair on your head, the clothes that you wear, where you go, when you go, how you go, with whom, all of a sudden, everything about your life has a significance or a meaning that it just doesn't make sense, and you're, you're reduced to the childhood where you have to learn all over again how to live. And this is my point about missional living. I want to point out three things. Last year, John Sherwood emphasized our home as a place that God wants us to use for ministry. I want to I give you three things to think about during this week. The first one is food. They actually had this during the CCF conference. Um, our, our leader where we were serving uh, got this quote from Nabil Koresh. Discipleship begins when our feet are under the same table. It's an incredible picture of the intimacy that happens when I sit down with you and I eat with you because relationship is happening. And if you go anywhere around the world, you're going to immediately be confronted with the concept of food because all of the mannerisms and the way that you do that is completely different to us. But I also want you to see that this is central to our spiritual nature. All throughout scriptures, you have food in every single aspect, positive and negative, from creation to the fall to redemption, both in the Old Testament and in the New. The Lord's Supper and even the consummation, finally when our Lord returns, what are we going to celebrate at? A banquet, food. And there's a very simple verse in, I think it's 1 Corinthians, where he says, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. I used to think of that like I needed to do something special and to ma- in order to make my food holy. It's different when you think about your food as missional. Like it's actually an opportunity. I'm being ministered to by God and I can use this to minister to others. So notice the people around you this week when you eat. If you have to wait five more minutes, wait five more minutes so that you can eat with someone because you are being sent. The second thing I want you to think about is, is clothing. Now, I won't go into this because I had a sister who warned me that this, this could get really deep, but it is, it's a beautiful picture in scriptures from the nakedness in the garden and how God constantly clothes us all the way into revelation. It's an awesome picture, but I want you to think about shoes because that's the theme of this, this sermon. What kind of shoes do you wear? Some people have to wear, thanks Georgia, <laughs> Some people wear corrective shoes because their feet hurt. 
They can't walk properly or they need something to help with their gait. Other people wear athletic shoes because it helps them run faster or whatever. I, I don't know if that's necessarily true. But other people have to wear very specific shoes for their job. Other people wear comfortable shoes. Other people don't like shoes because that's just the way they are. But whatever your shoes define about you, which is amazing, one of the things that was interesting when we went to the country we went to is that the first place that people look to judge who you are as a person is at your shoes. And uh, this is interesting for us, too, because I was reading a, a paper in psychology today about the psychology of shoes and how we, when we see someone who's dressed out really fancy and you look down and they're wearing tennis shoes because they have to get to their place of work, that effect of seeing tennis shoes completely undoes the effect of seeing that suit or that beautiful outfit. So much has to do with our feet because it talks about who we are. So I want you to think about that as you put your shoes on. And there's one passage that I want to connect to that in Ephesians chapter 6. When it's talking about God clothing us in the armor of God. And what does it say that he puts on our feet? The gospel of peace. So every time you put your shoes on this week, you are sent to wherever you're going. The last thing I want to, us to think about with regards to this is just the concept of face. Um, there are many others that uh, I would have loved to talk about, a touch or some of the other things, but face is so important now, especially since people are wearing masks and um, the effect of seeing someone's face. And again, it's everywhere in the scriptures. I, I just read all of these different ways it's used. His face fell because he did something wrong. Set his face towards, hid his face, face to the ground, covered his face, turned away his face. The Lord make his face shine upon you. We shall see his face. It's interesting the power of your face. Um, one of the men that I was talking to in the country where we were was um, upset with me because I wouldn't give him money to bail him out. His business was a really bad idea. And so I, I was trying to coach him through why it wasn't a good idea to keep paying these guys when obviously he wasn't making a profit. I said, what's going to happen if, if you don't pay? And he reached up and he did this with his cheek. And I'm like, you got an itch on your face or something like that? He's like, no, no. It will make me look bad and it will let make my family look bad. He will lose face. There's another expression I thought was really interesting where they wipe it like this. It's like wiping your beard and they say, mashallah. It's like, it's enough. It's good. And it has to do with your face. It's also interesting in counseling when you're talking about child development. The significance of your face in the neurobiological development of your child. They actually have their filter for the world shaped by the way you interact with them with your face. You see where I'm going with this? I want you to notice this week, how hard is it to look at somebody that you're ticked off at? How hard is it to look at somebody that makes you uncomfortable or whatever, your eyes turn away? Your face says a lot about how you understand your relationship with the people around you. And I would invite you to take a moment and notice the faces of the people around you because it reveals a lot about their hearts and it reveals a lot about yours. So you might be saying, now, what about the nations, Paul, for crying out loud? This is a conference for global missions. 
And that's what I am gearing at, my friends, because unless we understand that the core of our identity, what it means to be in Christ, a major aspect of that is mission. We are sent. But God just doesn't have many feet. He's got some funky little toes. That's my third point. He chooses some oddballs and sends them to places where for whatever reason he wants to further his gospel. To the ends of the earth, the mountains of China, the jungles of Papua New Guinea, and nobody in their right mind usually volunteers for that job, especially in the West. I mean, have you hung out with Kevin Hines or Herman Teachout or John Sherwood? They're a little odd. It's because these men have been exposed to the work of God throughout the world. And it changes you. It changes you. Sometimes I think the only saving factor for us weirdos is our wives. But um, that's not a joke, that's for real. Funky toes. So I want to close because I could, again, talk about the concept of world missions. But I want you to understand, especially the younger generation... If you're my age or younger, this is not something new that is dear to the heart of this church. This is a defining passion of Baraka Bible Church. And you, the old guard, is passing on. I'll say that in a nice way. The young guard needs to step up. And it's a rookie mistake not to listen to the veterans. It's also a rookie mistake not to step up and start practicing what you have been called to do. So younger generation, I'm speaking to you. What is God stirring your heart about? Is it missions here? Is it missions over there? And you have no idea? Then ask for help. Come to the missions team. Talk to the pastors. Talk to somebody in the fellowship that seems to do this well. And my wife and I live across the field, and this is what we love to talk to people about, is exploring what mission can look like in your day-to-day life. But I want to finish, and I I feel like I should apologize because I know I'm going over time, but this is so important. (laughs) Stories about funky toes, three things that are absolutely crucial to mission, the ministry of the word, prayer, and sacrificial love. Those are the core pieces that must be there in order for mission to be happening. And obviously, they are means of grace that God does through a person. So my first story is about a young woman who was absolutely terrified as she sat in a bus. And this is an example of love. And as she sat in that bus next to her Muslim friend, all of the Muslims in the bus were lifting up their hands as the imam at the front of the bus in his full garb was praying an Arabic blessing on them before they hit the road. See, this was not what she was expecting. She'd been developing a friendship with her friend for months now, having coffee with her and hanging out and just doing average things, you know, day-to-day, normal stuff. And then one day, this friend asked her in her broken language if she'd be willing to go and remember her father. And in this culture, this is what they do every year for their parents that have passed. They go and they remember them. So for you to be asked to be a part of that is a big deal. And so she immediately said, absolutely, I will go. She showed up on the day, and the woman took her to the bus station. And there's this big bus full of people, 
and she's, again, this is through broken language, so she's kind of not understanding what in the world is going on. So they put her on the bus, and along comes a full police escort as they drive off into the mountains to some remote town out in the woods. And that's pretty scary stuff. Come to find out, the reason they're doing this and the reason for the police escort was during the war about 20 years ago, the Christians in that town gathered up the Muslim men, took them out to a house in the woods, and there was 120 of them, and they killed them all. The bodies were never found. And these Muslims who were scattered out of their home were trying to come back to remember the death of their parents. And along the road, these Christians from this town would line up and they would do this with their hand. You know what this means? This is what you cross yourself with. This is the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, the two natures of Jesus Christ, his deity and his humanity. And this is what she crossed it with, and it's with hatred that they raised their hands at the Muslims. Where is the love of Jesus Christ for these people? Where is the gospel? Sitting in a terrified young woman next to her Muslim friend on that bus. She didn't plan that. In fact, nobody would have planned that because it was a little bit dangerous. But God put her in that place to demonstrate the truth of the gospel of Christ. My other, uh, another example for prayer is I woke up when I was a teenager in the wee hours of the morning, pun intended, and I had the need to go. And I, I don't know about you, but you usually have this debate going on in your mind whether or not I can hold it and fall back asleep. Or, so finally I gave up and I got up and I went to the bathroom. Well, as I'm going downstairs to the bathroom, I hear whispering and sobbing and I go to what used to be my bedroom and in the dark in the early hours of the morning my mom is kneeling by a bed weeping and praying and the words I hear coming out of her mouth are joy Tim Daniel and Paul it didn't mean that much to me then it was just it was just I was a teenager I didn't care so I went to the bathroom and went back to bed. But now as I look back on my life and I think about the people who prayed for me, I think about that woman at that bed. I asked her this week if she remembered that or did I dream that? And she said, oh yeah, I do that all the time. I go and lay on your empty beds and cry and pray to God. I'm like, <laughs> Incredible woman. And I stand here today preaching about the grace of God and I promise you it is, it is His grace in which I stand. The third thing um, is this proclamation, this sharing of the word, and it happens in a multitude of ways. Don't think that you need to stand behind a pulpit in order to become a missionary, guys. Don't think that you need to be a white man in order to be a missionary. God can use anyone to share the truth and the love of Jesus Christ. Some of the most amazing missionaries I know are women, single women that have given their lives for the sake of the gospel. It changed my life. At this graveside, this last one about the incredible proclamation of Jesus Christ is in that same town where this young woman got on the bus. And when they first, the team that is working there first went, they tried to do typical missions work where they would have street evangelism and a concert and they would gather people and they would do public proclamation. And the government pulled them aside and said, if you do this anymore, not only will you be kicked out of this town, but you will never be allowed to re-enter our country. And so they had to shift their tactics, so to speak, 
and they focused on personal ministry, on meeting the needs of people, and as the relationships developed, sharing Christ in that way. Years have gone by, and in, I don't know if it's in the last year or two, one of the handful of believers in the little church in this town of Muslims that have been horribly harmed by the name of Christianity. This little church in the middle of this town, one of the older women who had a huge impact in her building passed away. And they buried her in the graveyard. And this graveyard is covered with tombstones. And even the tombstones mark who you are. There's the Muslim little cap tops over here. And there's the Orthodox crosses here. And there's a little section for the Catholics. And then there's this like unmarked area of those who don't go one way or the other. And that's where she was buried. And standing at that gravesite is a man who has spent 40 years in the Balkans. And he proclaims to Muslims gathered because of the life of this woman the hope of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It blows my mind that that could be the first time that was preached in the open air among all of those tombs. God put him there. All of these stories, you know what one common link is besides God? It's you. I came in the church when I was three years old, and that's when the missions program really started to get traction, and they took on my family and supported us the whole time we were in Australia. You are involved in my life and the lives of each of those people that I mentioned in this town, you may notice I'm not saying I'm not saying where it is on purpose. If you'd like to hear more, please come and talk to me. But we, I, I was talking to Laura Hutzel about this. It, it just, it, it blows my mind what it means that we get to be a part of God doing his mission. When I sat down with Dr. Dial to go over Romans uh, 9 and 10, it was interesting because he pulled out his book to look at this concept of beautiful, beautiful feet. And in his notes, the last time he preached it, was the month before Baraka sent my family to the field. And the first time he preached it was several years before in the commissioning service of the Heinzes before they sent them to Kazakhstan. The missionaries pass. The message goes on. And we get to be partners in that. I love how Paul describes the relationship with the church in Philippians, this concept of intimate partnership. And that's one I want to encourage you and charge you to keep your focus on in the current times. Isaiah 49, 6. The Lord says, again, this conversation between the Son and the Father. It is too small a thing for you to be my servant to restore the tribes of Jacob and bring back those of Israel I have kept. I will also make you a light for the Gentiles that you may bring my salvation to the ends of the earth. We are the vessels of that light. You won't care about missions over there until you care about missions here. And you won't care about missions here until you care about him. So let me finish with this picture. Like I said, I, would, I want you to imagine some dirty male Israeli feet walking through life walking towards Jerusalem. And as he walks towards Jerusalem, he knows that he's been sent for a reason. And the reason is sitting here 
the joy set before him, he walked up that hill and he allowed his feet to be nailed to a cross. And as his full body hung, the weight of his body hung on those feet and the fluids of his life dripped off of those feet, we were being redeemed. We were being filled up in our righteousness in him. But they didn't stay on that cross They were buried, and they rose, and they walked, well, they walked out of that tomb, and they bear the scars of what he has done, and they ascended to the right hand of the Father. Those are beautiful feet, and they are what make our feet beautiful wherever we go. I want to give you guys a blessing. This is, whoops, that's somebody else's paper. I want to give you guys... A blessing before I go. This is something they do in the country where we were. I love it. Anytime there's a big event in life, they bless people. So let me bless you, and then I'll turn it over to Pat, I guess. May the peace of the Lord Jesus Christ go with us wherever he might send us. May he guide us through the wilderness and protect us in the storm. May he bring us home rejoicing at the wonders he has shown us. May he bring us home rejoicing once again, into these doors.